Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you for joining us. Here's what we'll talk about on today's program. We're going to talk about the latest ag equipment sales numbers as the good run of uh, strong numbers continue that we've seen throughout the year. Despite uh, the challenges, uh, we'll find out. We'll talk with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President of Ag Services, with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We'll talk markets and the economy, including the Fed's plans for handling inflation with Arlen Suderman, Chief Economist at Stone X, will be joining us. And we'll talk with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Kansas, one of the states hit hard by severe weather uh, just recently with the strong winds. Damage assessments are going on. We'll talk with Justin about things in the state of Kansas after the storms. All that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start it off talking about some of the ag news with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, happy holidays. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you, Mike. So we've got a lot to go over here. I want to get your thoughts on the the recent biofuels news, um, the administration hailing it as showing their support for the biofuels industry. Many in the biofuels industry saying the news is mixed at best. What do you make of it? Yeah, we, we in, within the biodiesel industry were perhaps a little bit better than mixed. Uh, we were we were pleased, uh, you know, that the that the numbers, uh, especially for of course moving forward for 2022. Are more have growth in them, and at least the commitments that and the information we have received from EPA is they stand uh, that stand ready to keep on having aggressive growth in that number in future years, and we hope that is certainly the case. Uh, we were a little bit disappointed, as you note, uh, with the 20 and 21 numbers, uh, although that those were not totally out of line with what we were expecting. So I think we in the biodiesel industry are, are relatively pleased. We're pleased with the good information, you know, that they're rejecting all of those small refinery exemptions, or at least that is their intent, uh, and they're taking comments on that now. But uh, that's going to be big if we can uh make sure that those rvos are not undermined by by massive numbers of small refinery exemptions as we've seen in the past from epa there are now concerns being raised that the demand for renewable diesel will be so great we won't have the feedstocks to meet the demand are you concerned about that well we're excited within the soybean industry about that uh we think you know not all of that capacity for renewable diesel that has been announced is likely to be built, uh, and uh, and uh, I think we're we until you start seeing some uh, cranes uh, in in the air and some cement being poured, uh, you know, all it is is an announcement on a press release on paper right now. But certainly we are seeing uh, there are there is expansion. We're excited about the future, um, and you know we're prepared to keep on growing a bigger crop here of soybeans. Um, Obviously, that could have some impact on uh, the nature of our exports. Our soybean oil exports could, could further decline. They've already gone down some because of that demand. Um, and we could see a shift. We could you know, see more crushing of, of whole soybeans here, and we could become a much more significant meal exporter in the future as well. We have infrastructure bill passed. Now... It's a matter of getting that funding out to the areas that need it, and that means setting priorities. Locks and dams, certainly I know, a priority for agriculture in general, soybean industry in particular. Uh, what are your efforts to try to make sure that money gets to these uh, particular projects? Yeah, we've been, uh, uh, both our voice from the American Soybean Association as well as joining others, from the agriculture industry, uh, the corn growers, the Waterways Council, Farm Bureau, and others have been telling the administration that they just need to follow the, the capital development plan for waterways infrastructure that has been uh, in place. Uh, the, the priorities are there are for a, a number of the locks and dams um, uh, on the Mississippi River. Uh, 
need to we just need them to follow that those those projects are ready to go and they need to be make sure to follow the capital development plan are you hearing from your members any concerns about this writing a new waters of the u.s rule yes absolutely mike we that is uh WOTUS and and is, those issues are one of the top things probably after taxes uh, that we have heard from our members on of course all the changes that were were feared and and uh, uh were being considered to possible changes to stepped up basis uh you know thankfully we hopefully have avoided that but we still have to be diligent here because it's not done yet, uh, but uh, after taxes, I would probably say WOTUS, uh, Waters of the United States, uh, fears about you know how are uh, farmers land uh, going to be regulated? Are they going to need permits for uh, farming operations? Are there are wetlands, are intermittent streams uh, going to be regulated? All of those things are big question marks ahead of us. And so we're going to be very engaged with the administration and already have been um, uh, working with them, testifying before EPA at some of their listening sessions. Now we have to see what are they actually going to propose. I was about to ask you, what are your priorities for 2022? I think you've kind of outlined them for us. <laughs> yes, uh, certainly that. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, moving forward, biofuels, uh, WOTUS. Uh, uh, working on the farm bill uh, is going to be some preparations for the 2023 farm bill, um, you know, because Congress is going to start looking at that, uh, making sure on the regulatory side that farmers have uh, the crop protection tools, dealing with the supply chain issues that, that farmers have been, been dealing with, what can be done there and making sure that the EPA doesn't start taking away uh, the tools that farmers have to produce a crop uh, nutritiously, safely, um, and uh, feed both America and the rest of the world. Dicamba, that'll be a big issue, won't it? It will be, and we've been uh, very active in, in, in talking to uh, EPA as well as uh, uh, Secretary Vilsack and USDA and the White House saying, uh, you know, there simply is not any replacement out there uh, if uh, the CAMBA was not able to be used over the top. Um, so we've, we've said and urged them to say we need to find a way forward to where it can continue to be used safely, um, but uh, we can't take these tools away from farmers. Steve, always thank you for your time. Uh, we've done this many, many years and um, I think on my first AOA show, when we created the show, you were one of our first guests. And I really appreciate working with you over the years at both American Soybean Association and when you were at USDA and now back at ASA. Thanks a lot. Wish you the very best. Happy holidays. Well, Mike, a salute to you for a wonderful career and best to you. Thanks for always keeping farmers informed. You've done a wonderful job of that for many, many years. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. 
Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President, American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, let's start with the things that stand out to you on the positive side from this week's announcement. Well, I think the, the, the good things that we knew about but that got announced at this point were the $700 million in aid to ethanol plants for pandemic relief. We knew that was happening. We just didn't know when it would be announced, and I think we still don't know the details, so it kind of looks like something that they decided to announced so that they could soften the blow of the other stuff that came. We'll see what the what the details are, but that's good. And, and USDA has been very helpful to us. And then they also announced that there would be another $100 million in um, infrastructure grant for stations to put in equipment for higher blends. So that can be useful too. In both cases, I think, again, USDA has always been very helpful to us. And, and you know, in one respect, we knew the one thing was coming, the other one we hoped would. So that that's probably the best news of all. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. One of the things that we've done since starting AOA a few years ago was to each month uh, check in with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers to get the uh, latest ag equipment sales numbers. Always interesting to see what those numbers are, especially during the, the times, whether market's up or down and whether you're dealing with a pandemic or whatever it may be. But also, I think, a, a good indicator of uh, of the ag economy and, and farmers' attitudes and confidence or lack thereof in the uh, in the economy. So, uh, that's why we do this each month, and it's always a good chance to talk with Kurt Blades, who joins us now. Kurt, good to have you back with us. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'll tell you what, Mike, uh, your timing of starting the show uh, kind of coincides with the pandemic. So you're right. This has been a fun conversation over the last few years about tractor sales. And through the pandemic, we have often said when you've come on uh, each month, Given all the all the things going on and all the headwinds, the numbers have been surprisingly strong, pleasantly surprised with uh, how strong they've been, the sales numbers. Uh, what are the latest numbers telling us? Well, the, they continue on with that same trend of, of just pleasantly surprised at, at the strength of the uh, ag tractor and combine uh, numbers, both in the U.S. and Canada, so across North America. In fact, num- November is, is no different. We saw a 9% uh, year-over-year increase for the month of November across all tractor categories in the U.S. Um, And that that, the best news on that is that's 30% up in 100-plus horsepower tractors. So continuously strength in the U.S. market. The Canadian market is is very much the same way with being up uh, uh, 2% for the month of November and 20% for the year. So really seeing some solid numbers out there in tractor sales. You know, I think back over these last few years, we've talked a lot about the questions or challenges for demand. Would farmers be buying? Little did we know we'd get into a period where they would want to buy, but it would be a challenge to get them what they were wanting to buy because of supply chain issues. I know. I'll tell you what, it's, it, it is definitely a problem. We're, we're feeling it. I know your listeners are feeling it. Everyone is feeling it, that supply chain issues are very real. Um, you couple that with, with um, excuse me, you couple that with, with what we're seeing to be, you know, solid, solid demand. 
I mean, it is just adding for a little bit more lead time in the delivery. Boy, that farmer demand is is real, and whether that's related to you know tax issues or or attitude or uh, farm income or commodity prices, there's any number of reasons that point to why that farmer demand is pretty solid. Um, and then you couple that with supply chain issues, and it it absolutely leads to just a little bit longer uh, lead times for delivery. Are you seeing any improvement in the supply chain uh, backup? Well, there are pockets. I mean, as as we've talked about, Mike, the supply chain issue is not, there's no one silver bullet. And you, know, you watch the watch the national news and know that you know the equipment market is certainly part of it. But everybody's dealing with the supply chain issues, whether it's the you know the the, the ports in California that are over overutilized or under trucked or however you want to say it. There's there's a whole lot of things that are out there. So there are pockets where where we're seeing some. Uh, light at the end of the end of the tunnel on the supply chain, but just as you fix one problem, maybe another one uh, presents itself. And the thing that that um, you know I've heard from our members is that you know we've got a supply chain problem without question. We also have a labor problem, and that labor problem is um, you know maybe not as severe because the supply chain problem is 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 in place. So we're going to fix the supply chain problem if for no other reason than just time will let it fix it. Uh, but that labor problem is going to continue for a while. Um, you know, shortage of labor, shortage of skilled labor, and, and the truck shortage is, I think, is a very real thing that we're going to be dealing with for a couple of years. I know this could vary depending on location uh, and, and situation, but in general, overall, if a farmer w- wanted a new tractor for spring planting time, and they ordered it now. Would they? What would? How good a chances would they have of getting it by springtime? Well, I think it. it to your point, it varies. Uh, it, it it does. This is where having a good relationship with your dealer, because uh, the dealer understands, uh, you know, what what the market's looking like, uh, has those relationships with the manufacturers to sort of help figure out how to navigate, uh, you know, what what equipment goes where. So I think. Uh, it, it will absolutely vary. I think there are, it's, it's very real that if a, if a farmer wants to get a tractor before spring, you know, they got to be talking now. Um, that's when those conversations have to happen. Uh, and certainly even if they're looking to have a combine by next fall, you got to have those conversations now. And I talked with a, with a dealer friend of mine, and, and he, was, he and I were talking about this whole lead time piece. And, and his comment, and I think you and I have talked about this before as well, Mike, is that it's not a bad thing that we're having to plan ahead a little bit because tractors, combines, they shouldn't be an impulse buy. And so having that relationship with your dealer, having a good understanding of where a tractor fits into your operation uh, so you can plan ahead for it, uh, that's a good thing. And so I mean, it's, just, it's a little bit different than the way we've operated in the past with, with you know November, December being really strong sales months due to tax purposes. It's not a bad thing that we had to plan ahead a little bit because of um, – because of what the supply chain is, it forces us all to uh, to make rational decisions and be good business people. We're talking with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We talked about tractor sales. How how have combine sales done overall? Combine sales continue to be strong as well. And you, know, you talk about a considered purchase, so you can't touch a new one for you know less than half a million dollars. So uh, track combines for the year in the U.S. are up twenty five percent. And in Canada, they're up 28%. For the month of November alone, combines are up almost 40% uh, month over month. Um, those are big numbers. And you know, percentages uh, tell you one thing, but let's talk about numbers. That's actually an additional 1,000 units. Nearly 1,000 additional units have been sold in 2020 than there were in 2021. That's a big number. That's a big number when you think about how complex those machines are, how how uh, 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 you know advanced they are, how how much time it takes to build it. That's a big number, and so seeing a 40% growth in the month of November and 25% for the year, that obviously points to some optimism out there in farm country. Still a strong market for good used equipment. Absolutely, uh, as you know. Used equipment and, and new equipment prices kind of go hand in glove, and the residual value of used equipment is there. 
and that's obviously leading to some of the pressure that we're seeing on the on the sales as well because used prices are quite high. Um, there's a lot of demand for late model use. There's a lot of demand for some specific models here and there, um, and it's partially because new can't be can't be acquired as quickly as maybe as they want. But then also, I mean, I think it's just again you point to the overall uh, you know positive attitudes out in in uh, in the farm country is that uh, you know there is a market for new equipment. There's a market for their buyers for used equipment. And if everybody's optimistic, all of those markets are uh, are kind of you know positive right now and wanting to acquire new capital equipment. I remember when we started doing these monthly visits, Kurt. We talked about. You could see the correlation, of course, between uh, strong market prices and and equipment sales. And when markets were good, the farmers felt uh, you know more comfortable in making those purchases. Now we have, uh, I mean, we have good prices, good market prices, but we also have these high input costs, uh, and that then impacts a, a farmer's decision as well. Uh, that yeah, they may be getting more for their grain, but they're paying more to uh, to grow it. Well, I think that's uh, that's a very real. Um, that's, that's very much a reality. I had the, the pleasure of being on a call with the Secretary of Ag earlier in the week, and that, I know that's a, a strong concern of, of USDA as well. Is that that yeah we love we love having you know more money on the top end, but the but the but the bottom line uh, is not looking as positive as it could be because of all those input prices going up. I think part of that part, part of that why you're seeing the increased demand in in capital expenditures. Just like you're seeing early purchases of fertilizer, it's it's uh, uh, farmers wanted to lock in the prices now because you know inflation could could very well be a, be a, a factor. So if we can lock in prices now, uh, that helps at least alleviate some of those questions that might be out there, you know, six twelve months from now. But I agree with you completely. I'm 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 pretty concerned about uh, rising input costs. Um, I think it's very real and and. Uh, as long as commodity prices continue to hold and we continue to see good demand for biofuels and trade and all the things that make commodity prices where they are, uh, that's great. But boy, um, farmer costs are absolutely going up. There's no question about it. Kurt, thanks as always. Always great to work with you. Really appreciate uh, you doing this over the years with us. Thank you so much. You bet. You guys have a Merry, Merry Christmas. You too. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Up next, we'll talk markets, we'll talk the economy, we'll talk inflation with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When it comes to a healthy bottom line for your farming operation, nothing helps like healthy soil. Producers who use soil health management systems report lower input costs while maintaining or even improving their yields. Plus, those systems help with drought protection and soil and water conservation. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out more and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by the NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade here through the early rounds on this Friday, we do see a little bit of continuation, some follow-through in soybeans. However, it's not soybean oil that is moving us higher. It's soybean meal where we see some strength here today. Corn is firm, holding just below that resistance level overhead at $6, trying to find a way to break through that resistance. Wheat futures are a little more mixed here as we are just having kind of a quiet tone to the market trade overall here on this Friday. We did get an export sale reported this morning from USDA, 132,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China for this marketing year. Also sales of 33,000 metric tons of soybean oil for delivery to India once again for this marketing year. 
However, again, bean oil is trading lower. Crude oil is down $1.24 a barrel at 71.14. That might be contributing to some of our weakness. We're seeing mixed action over in cattle and hog futures as well here as we work through the day. Cattle country has been disappointing this week, and it appears most of the trade is wrapped up here already for the week, while the hog market just trading fairly quiet here. It's looking like a mostly quiet day for this Friday. Current numbers, March quarter up a half penny, 591 to three quarters. May quarter up a half penny, 593 and a quarter. January soybeans, six and three quarters higher, 1284. March up seven and three quarters at 1286. January bean meal up 240 a ton, 374.70. January bean oil down 23 points, 54.42. March Chicago wheat, one lower, 769 and a half. March Kansas City wheat up three and three quarters, 807 and a half. Spring wheat March down one and three quarters at 1025. December live cattle 27 lower at 135. February down 50, 136.55. January feeder cattle 45 lower, 162.12. February hogs 20 higher at 80.55. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always enjoy our conversations with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. He joins us now to talk markets and the economy. Arlen, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, two big factors as we go into the new year that will have a big impact both on markets and uh, the economy. Omicron, this latest variant of covid and inflation. Those are two uh, two huge issues. Yeah, they really are. And they really set the tone for the macro markets. Uh, as we break it down, first of all, Omicron is, again, another variant of this virus, the COVID-19 virus. Viruses mutate. They mutate frequently. The normal way that they mutate is to something that spreads faster and easier but is less lethal. The exception was in 1918, the Spanish flu, which mutated towards something more lethal. Uh, that, but that's more the aberration. That's always a possibility, but that rarely happens. Usually it's the other way. And that's what we're seeing now is something that spreads more quickly and easily, but is less lethal. And so far, and I read extensively about this yesterday, an article that uh, really detailing and studying the Omicron virus in Europe, where they've had it a little bit longer, even though it hasn't been all that long, and the overwhelming majority of symptoms are very much like the common cold. And uh, so it is spreading rapidly. Basically, what we're seeing in Europe is the number of cases are doubling every two days, and it will soon be the dominant, uh, uh, the dominant variant. On inflation, uh, we're seeing that uh, we're hitting record inflation in Europe for the European Union bloc. Now, the European Union bloc doesn't have all that long of a history, uh, how long these 27 nations have been together, but 4.9%. In the United States, we're at 39-year highs at 9.6% in the data that came out this year, or this week, rather. And that's about half of where we were 40 years ago, four decades ago, when it got out of hand and Paul Volcker had to really take drastic actions and push interest rates up toward 20%. We hope it doesn't get to that point. 
But inflation and Omicron are the two big concerns hanging over the consumer and hanging over the markets right now that are really shaping policy, shaping how the markets trade, how they behave. Uh, And right now it's a positive for the ag sector because the ag sector appears to be, too many fund managers, a good place to hedge against inflation in a portfolio by owning some ag commodities. So what do you make of the Fed's announcement of how they plan on handling or dealing with inflation in 2022 and announcing uh, that they'll be making some uh, interest rate hikes? Well, it really goes back to the whole philosophy. And, and one of the things I'm grateful to my parents is, is they gave me the gift of delayed gratification, of learning that you need to really work for and sometimes struggle and pay the price for the desired result. And we've become, in our economy, in our culture, people who want instant gratification. Um, and so central banks have gotten in the habit now of any time things start getting tough, of printing more money, sticking more money into the economy, into the consumer's hands, because two-thirds of our economy is consumption, is consumer. And so if we can put more money in the consumer's hands, then the economy keeps going again. But you never fix the structural problems again. It's like if I have a lot of pain in my knee and I just keep taking pain pills to alleviate that pain, I don't fix the problem. That problem's going to keep getting worse. And eventually I'll have to have surgery on that knee. But same thing in the economy. If we don't fix the structural issues creating the problems, we just keep putting a band-aid over it by printing more money, putting more money in the consumer's hands. Eventually we have to fix the problem and it's more painful to us. Um, we've put over five trillion dollars, almost six trillion dollars worth of monetary stimulus into the economy during the pandemic alone. That's in addition to all the fiscal stimulus. So the consumer is very cash rich. That creates hyper-elevated demand from the consumer, which results in inflation. The Fed is tapering the amount of expansion it has in monetary supply. That doesn't mean it's removing that that expansionary policy or that stimulus. It's just slowing the rate at which it's adding to it. It's going to complete that process now in March instead of June is what they told us out of this meeting. And then next year they'll raise the interest rates three times, 25 basis points each time, um, and then they'll do the same thing the following year. With the amount of stimulus that we have in our economy, they should have started doing this a long time ago they didn't, now they are, is it enough? Um, The markets seem satisfied with what they're doing because the markets love the stimulus because that money ends up flowing into the markets. But if the Fed is too slow with slowing things down, that's where we get in the danger of what happened four decades ago where inflation gets out of hand. And there's a debate whether it has or not. You can argue that one either way. My personal bias is that's too slow of action that they're going to be forced into a more rapid raising of rates to slow things down because right now that interest rate hike that they're planning is still going to leave us with negative real interest rates. In other words, interest rates that give you a return on your money that's below the rate of inflation. Yeah, as you said, they got off to a slow start in doing something and now they're trying to catch up and then they start uh, making big adjustments uh, and then then look out. We've been down that path before. Hopefully we can avoid that. Uh, the the big spending bill before Congress looks like it's delayed for now. We'll see what happens after the first of the year, uh, whether that goes anywhere or not. We're talking with uh, Arlen Suderman with Stone X. All right. Sometimes I think if we don't have enough problems, which we always seem to have plenty of them, we're always in search of another one. So now we're, we've gone from being concerned, do we have demand for soybeans and soy products to now talking about, well, we're going to have such a demand for renewable diesel. We won't have the feedstocks to, to produce it all. So uh, start worrying about a new problem. What, what do you make of this? Well, the demand for the new biofuels that require the edible oils is real, but it's not going to ramp up as fast as some say. 
because we're not going to get the infrastructure ramped up for it. So one of the estimates out there says we're going to need 30 million more soybean acres in three years to meet that demand. And my argument to that is, well, the demand is real, but not in three years, because we would have to increase our soybean crush capacity by 70% over the next three years. That's not going to happen. Right now, if you look at the number of plants that are in various stages of development and construction, that's another 350 million bushels worth of capacity. That's nowhere near the 70% expansion. So it's going to take time. So what we're seeing is we've started, the first plants have started to open up. That's why we're starting to see increased demand for soy oil. Um, But some of the others beyond March openings have kind of hit the pause button to wait for that infrastructure to build, see how it goes for these first ones. So it's going to happen over time. And rather than seeing a big increase in soybean acreage, I think what we'll see is a larger percentage of our U.S. production going into crush for these renewable fuels and China relying more on Brazil for its export or its import needs. So we'll become more of a domestic demand for soybeans and less of an export demand. And that may actually stabilize us more. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, But do you think it could open the door for another big expansion of acres in South America? Yeah, absolutely. High prices cure high prices, and this current round of high prices will eventually increase demand enough to meet that uh, that uh, consumption. And that increased supply is largely going to come from Brazil and from the Black Sea, both for corn and for soybeans. All right. Markets uh, the rest of this year and going into the first of next year, barring something unexpected, you see a, a narrow trading range, kind of choppy. Well, in the old days, it used to just really chop around and kind of, of struggle, kind of what we'd call a holiday malaise because a lot of people were taking vacation. Now computers control so much of it that I don't think we'll see quite that effect. And particularly now corn and soybeans are trying to have a breakout to the upside. And if they're successful in doing that from a chart standpoint, that may bring in more computer buying, particularly with the money that's still available in the system right now. And it does leave us with the opportunity and we may see a, a rise into the end of the year. Hmm. Interesting. So how much is it? You see a big rally or just a, a kind of an upward movement here? Well, as we get to the end of the year, then you start seeing funds want to square their books so they can show those profits on the books. So that could result in some profit taking, some sell off as we get into the final days of the trading year. And then as we get into January, then it's rebalancing the books, rebalancing the index funds, getting their portfolios back in. So it gets into choppy affairs. And then about the time of the January crop report, that's what really sets the tone then going through the rest of the winter. Arlen, always good to talk with you. Always appreciate your perspective. You always make me think, give me something to think about, and always learn something when I talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. All right, up next, we'll kind of get an assessment what we know so far about the damage from the big windstorm out west uh, in the last few days, how much damage has been done. We're going to check in with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Check in on that state. That's coming up next. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. 
180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Each month we get the uh, latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Here once again, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer to break it down. Michael, thanks for joining us. Looks like the numbers are lower again this month. Yes, they are. The, the index dropped from 121 in October to 116 in November, and that's the lowest Ag Economy Barometer index since June of 2020. And so we've dropped quite a ways from the highs we saw this spring. In April, we were at close to 180 in terms of this index. And so and so some large drops again this month, both the index of future expectations and the index of current conditions dropped. So both of those sub-indices dropped. The index of future expectations is still higher than the index of current conditions, meaning that producers realize that 2021 is a pretty good year. There's a lot of concerns uh, related to where we're going in 2022. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. It often seems like when I get a hold of Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, it's to talk about a problem, some something that has happened that we're concerned about. Well, here we go again. He joins us now to talk about the, the aftermath of the big windstorms that have hit Kansas and several other states in, in the last few days. Justin, thanks for joining us. So what's the latest? Uh, what damage assessments have been made so far? Well, hi, Mike. It's uh I would say it's good to visit with you again, but uh, just as you said, sometimes we do uh, 
visit under uh, difficult circumstances. But, uh, yeah, Wednesday, I, I know there's been a lot of media reports and, and getting a lot of headlines about just how historic of a day we had Wednesday with the damaging wind events that stretched all the way from Colorado through Kansas and then up uh, up into the northern states all the way up to Wisconsin, but really impacted a lot of hard red winter wheat growing areas and a lot of our membership. And so uh, it's a... As far as assessing the damages, um, you know, it's a, there's a lot of uh, people that are still trying to figure out how much loss is out there. Uh, you know, pro- primarily now, uh, you know, a lot of losses, unfortunately, with livestock and property due to due with the fires and the winds. But uh, I know you're wanting to know, talk a little bit more about what what might have ultimately be with the the wheat crop and and how it might have, may have survived this this uh, this major wind event. Watching the pictures and seeing the pictures and videos on social media, it was just, it was just incredible to see. It was like uh, the Dust Bowl again, and to see those wind speeds being what they were. I mean, can you describe what that was like? Well, I think everybody is comparing it to the, the Dust Bowl, and everybody's talking about you know the hardest of times, the worst of times, the uh, the, the book about the. the uh, the 1930s and, and the challenges that uh, uh, went on during those times, but it was it was it was just like that. It was uh, it has been so dry. You know, the drought monitor is showing us that uh, the, the severe drought areas, uh, and then we had a combination with with one of the most historic uh, large wind events that have come through. I think I saw uh, one of the reports saying that. Uh, from a storm prediction center that it was one of the most significant days on record with the number of 75 per per mile uh, hour wind gusts in reports from across Colorado to Kansas through Nebraska uh, that really impacted and what when you had a combination of those dry conditions we've had high you know way above high temperatures uh, and then with these uh, you know this intense wind event that came through it just made a combination just that really stirred up some major dust storms that, that blew through western Kansas that just had zero visibility. And then, of course, the, the real tragedy that happened with, you know, the knocking down a lot of power lines, that, that's what sparked a lot of the, the major fires that we've had over six, what they said. Uh, and there's multiple fires across the state of Kansas that they're estimating maybe around over ha- uh, half a million acres that were involved in some major gra- uh, grass fires that had uh, loss of livestock and, and houses and, of course, farmsteads, unfortunately. Uh, that uh, We do have a uh, Kansas Department of Ag has set up a livestock recovery program. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that uh, there are ways that people can, can give that uh, to try to help uh, for those that have had some of those losses. But, you know, Mike, I know you want to talk about, about specifically with the wheat, you know, the, how that impacted the wheat. You had uh, so much blowing snow and, or uh, blowing dirt and sand and gravel. Uh, it just really damaged the leaf tissue of a lot of those that wheat. And a lot of that wheat's already susceptible due to those dry conditions. And so I think it's that southwest Kansas area, uh, the panhandle area that, uh, that you're seeing with some of the most, uh, you know, tragic pictures of those uh, wheat that looks white just because it's just all the leaf tissue's been been blown out and vegetation has been blown out and of course you had two to three foot uh, drifts of dirt in a lot of those areas uh, i think that's probably the areas that we're, we're most concerned about and that was the wheat that was the most susceptible it it's always amazed me how strong and resilient a plant the wheat plant is and wheat just seems to be able to bounce back and survive so much but this this is really going to be a test i mean you could sometimes you get conditions that that just can't bounce back from uh, we'll see on this uh, but what are your initial thoughts looking at that kind of uh, damage in those conditions well I, I, um, you know I, you're right uh, there's wheat does have nine lives it's a very resilient plant you know but what it why it does have those nine lives is it gets the right conditions to be able to bounce back and those right conditions being moisture uh, and then nutrients to be able to respond and so where our big concern is on this bouncing back uh, with this wheat crop, Mike, is uh, we know we don't have the soil profile uh, there. Uh, of course, when you had high temperatures and wind, uh, you depleted a lot of that again uh, with that event this this, uh, this past week. Uh, but then, then put that in combination with where we're at with uh, fertilizer prices. I don't think you can 
I don't think you can uh, just kind of dismiss the fact that, um, you know, with higher fertilizer prices and now a crop that, uh, that may already be kind of challenged with high yield potential, what kind of investment is going to go into that crop? And I think it's going to be a, a big decision for a lot of those farmers to go ahead and, and make. Is it uh, go ahead in time to collect on, on insurance rather than trying to wait it out like we've seen in years past that have allowed that wheat crop to respond? Uh, where they've given it uh, given it a little bit more time to wait for for rains and then give it the right kind of uh, nutrients and nitrogen to get that crop to respond. I don't know if we're going to be able to see that this year with some of those areas just because of where we're at with fertilizer prices and uh, and maybe looking at uh, doing some other options. So it, it's going to be an interesting year for the hard red winter wheat crop, Mike, but uh, it's definitely off to a really rough start. And yesterday, our yeah, uh, past week was going to be tough. As you said, some big decisions and some difficult decisions that farmers are going to be making here uh, coming up. Justin, as always, appreciate uh, the update and uh, our thoughts and prayers for everyone uh, going through this and dealing with these uh, conditions and issues uh, from these uh, storms. Uh, thank you for the update. Always good to talk with you. Okay, same with you, Mike. I hope you and all your listeners have a safe and merry Christmas. And uh, again, thanks for all that you do for communicating the American agriculture story. Always appreciate right. it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. That wraps it up for today and for the week. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again on Monday here on AOA. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to oli.org.